0: From Philippians 1, 12-18, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Thank you, Alyssa. Ooh, there we go. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all here on this uh, snowy day. That was a little earlier than I was anticipating, but somewhat beautiful. And uh, we're thankful for all of the gifts that God gives us. So we are continuing our series on Philippians, and the, uh, the real purpose of this series is to strengthen our efforts as a church in regard to our, our witness of the gospel, our speaking the gospel into the lives of those that don't know him. And I think all of us recognize, if we're if we're at all sensitive to um, the burden that we have to be witnesses of the gospel, we're all aware of the challenge that exists in our culture. Uh, one of the realities that we see uh, in the New Testament is that when, when Paul went into a, 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 a place, um, it was usually in the Gentile world, um, and... These were new ideas to them. When we, you know, for example, in Acts 17, when he's proclaiming the gospel at, the, uh, at Mars Hill, he says, you know, they, they say, you know, come back tomorrow so we may hear more of these strange teachings. And so in a lot of ways, um, when, when the gospel got s- outside of, of Jerusalem, um, it was really uh, a, a new idea, this idea that there was one God, Represented in the one man Jesus Christ, who had died and resurrected, never to die again. That, that even those those ideas in general uh, were completely new. To to die in the ancient world meant that you would enter into a a, a spirit form and somehow exist in this a spirit world. Uh, but the idea of a bodily resurrection and that would be your eternal state was. I mean, so there was all kinds of, of new ideas we live in a culture 2,000 years from Christ's resurrection um, and hundreds of years in fact you know it, it's it has been Christianity has been a part of, of Western culture European and American culture since its founding and so we exist in a place where um, most of our contemporaries have, heard about Jesus. Uh, most of them are aware of of uh, the history of Christianity and oftentimes its negative elements. Um, we hear Jesus derided. We hear evangelicals derided. Uh, this week uh, we were doing some things uh, with our with uh, some volunteer efforts with the schools, and one of the parents that was there was telling a story or. One of her family members had uh, recently moved, and she, I, th- I can't remember if, if she was a postal worker or anyway, she was, kind of went door to door throughout this city, and it was a city it's a city, Colorado Springs known for its uh, strong evangelical culture. And one of the things that this, this person had to strengthen and support her relative in was, was help against all of these people that were trying to share Jesus with her and save her. And so um, this this idea of an evangelical culture that is trying to save people through Jesus is is part of our cultural landscape. Um, and the the opposition that we we oftentimes face or at least perceive that we're going to face is also a part of a a, cause, a result of the the politicization of the gospel and it, and evangelicalism's connection with right-wing politics and 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 all of these kinds of things and so we we live in this culture where jesus and the gospel are not new i think i mentioned in the first couple of weeks i was sharing the gospel with this guy at a laundromat and he just stopped and said are you witnessing to me you know so this this idea of witnessing the gospel of, of evangelizing of sharing about jesus so that people may be saved um, is is something that we is is a part of the culture that we just live in, and the culture wars have been a significant front, at least from a cultural perspective, of the of the gospel and its influence in c- culture, and in contrast to Paul's practice of grace, when he was imprisoned in Philippi for his proclamation of the gospel. Um, you know he he worshipped, he sang. The prisoners and the guards heard about Jesus Christ, and they saw a man who had been beaten for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And instead of lashing out in in violent speech and actions against them, um, he was rejoicing. And so the 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 witness of. Of Christians in our culture hasn't been necessarily one of grace it's been one of opposition and it's a front in the culture war and it is difficult for us to speak about Jesus because to speak about Jesus in our culture is not respectable it's not it's not uh, regarded it's kind of a joke in a lot of ways and this is part of the opposition that we we face when we think about and what really be, and devote ourselves to being witnesses for Jesus Christ this is this is part of the world that we live in now in a lot of ways Paul and Jesus and the apostles faced backlash from their culture because of misrepresentations of biblical Christianity and because of and misrepresentations of what the people of God should be. So there have always been misrepresentations of God's people in the world that are part of the culture that the true believers would would have to realize and recognize and, and experience opposition for. So the, the, the reality of opposition due to a bad witness by others has always been part of the landscape. And so This is our task, and so as we as we look at this series, as we look at this book about um, a church and Paul's efforts to strengthen its witness in the culture that they were in. This is one of the things that we've got to consider, and as we've seen in the weeks that we have been looking at Philippians and Acts, we've seen that that opposition seems to be a, a critical catalyst in the gospel's spread. In the face of opposition, the boldness that Paul has demonstrated and the grace that Paul has demonstrated have been instrumental in the gospel going forward. And so this passage today, uh, Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 through 18, um, is a very critical passage and one of the most important passages in the New Testament in regard to this idea that that local churches are to be the the primary means and energy behind the gospel's advance in the world. James Ware says as he wrote a book called The Mission of the Church, which is a study of the book of Philippians, he says, "This passage, Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 through 18, is of great interest" For it is almost the sole instance in Paul's letters in which he refers explicitly to missionizing. We would say evangelism. He says it's missionizing. In the sense of active verbal proclamation by Christians generally. Let me read it again. He says, this passage is of great interest. For it is almost the sole instance in Paul's letters in which he refers explicitly to missionizing missionizing in the sense of active verbal proclamation by Christians generally. And so we're going to look at Paul's imprisonment because that's what he's going to, that's what he's talking about here in this passage. He he launches immediately after his prayer and greeting, he launches immediately into the subject of his imprisonment. And his imprisonment um, is critical to the advance of the gospel. And so we're going to look at at a few points of his imprisonment. The first one is that Paul's imprisonment, Paul's imprisonment is the cause of the Philippian division. Okay, so we saw last week that there was some, there was some hint in the introduction that there's a problem in Philippi. There's a problem in Philippi. We, lo- we know later in the book he, he is encouraging and admonishing the Philippian church to be one-minded Standing firm as one man with one spirit for the progress of the gospel. So we know there's a problem with, with unity. And we know there's a there's a he he is encouraged by the Philippians, he is thankful for the Philippians, but he prays that the Philippians would have more love. So there's, there's some unity issues and there are some love issues. And he immediately launches into the subject of his imprisonment. And the imprisonment is the cause of the division. How they interpreted Paul's suffering. Some people in the Philippian church saw that Paul's suffering was a consequence of Jesus' commending of him to this work. Others in Philippi saw Paul's imprisonment as a problem, as a problem. If Paul was effective in the gospel, he wouldn't be in jail. He wouldn't be in jail. And so their love needs to grow. All the Philippians are being addressed. He uses the term like seven times, the word all. All of you Philippians, not just the leaders, not just a few, all of you Philippians need to come together in your love and in your unity. And we got news this week of an American pastor's release from Turkish custody. If you familiar with this? Jose had a post about it um, this morning, like at 3.30 in the morning, um, And he was right. We need to be praying for our government leaders, and not just American government leaders. Paul's passage in 1 Timothy 2 says that we should be praying for all kings, all authorities, so that we, as God's people, would be able to live in peace. For we know that it is God who wants all people to be saved. So somehow, God is working through the authorities of this world to bring about the salvation of people. And so we should be praying for our government authorities, all of our government authorities for the kings and presidents around the world. But this release of this pastor, now, it's great news. But how many of you, when you first heard of the story, thought, I wonder what that guy was in prison for? Probably for being an idiot. That's what I first thought, to be honest with you, okay? That is what I first thought. Because Christians have been idiots, God's people have some segments of them, and in fact, all of us at some point in our lives have been idiots, right, in our efforts to be Christians and witnesses of the gospel. So I I think, I mean, for me, again, to be honest with you, I was like, okay, that guy probably did something stupid, you know? So I did some research. I read up on it. There's no indication that the guy did anything stupid. He's the pastor of a small church in, in Turkey, um... My guess would be formerly Muslim people. It's a small church of like 25 or 30 people. It's not very big. He's been there for 20-some years. Um, He was caught up in this, um, in the reaction to the coup attempt two years ago against the current government, which I think there were thousands and thousands of people that the president um, wiped up, threw in prison, killed, etc. But... Our first inclination, I think, is that when opposition and suffering comes to those who are Christians, there must be a good reason for it. They should have been thrown in jail or something like that. But you know what? That's wrong to think that way. It was wrong for me to think that this guy probably did something idiotic to get himself thrown in jail. It's our inclination to think when opposition comes against us or against God's people, that something was done wrong. And Paul is going to kind of turn the tables on that thinking. Because this next point, he says, listen, my imprisonment served to advance the gospel. The gospel has not been hindered by me getting thrown in jail. In fact, it has been strengthened it has been strengthened. What does it mean for the gospel to be advanced? Well, we know that it is, a, it is a, from this passage and others, throughout the entire book of Acts and through the gospels and all of the New Testament, the speaking and proclaiming of the gospel has to be part of its advancing. It has to be part of its advancing. It's also the lifestyle. Now, the passage here in Philippians doesn't get specific as to how Paul conducted himself in jail, But we have an idea because the backdrop in the book of Acts for Philippians is chapter 16, what we read. And we know that when Paul was in jail after being flogged and beaten embarrassingly, he worshipped and he prayed. And it was that witness of his lifestyle of grace in jail after being beaten that led to The salvation of the jailer and his household and probably a lot of, if not all, of the prisoners. Because none of them escaped when they had the opportunity. Their hearts had been changed like the jailer and his household's. And so there is the preaching of the gospel, the conduct that is worthy of the gospel, which he's going to admonish later on in this chapter, which we'll cover next week. And so we are called to be people that advance the gospel, that speak and proclaim, okay and it's not always preaching or proclamation more oftentimes, the new testament uses the word just simply speaking the gospel we are to speak the gospel into the lives of the people around us and our lifestyles should back it up particularly lifestyles of grace and rejoicing in the face of opposition and that seems to be the key Opposition is going to come, and it's how we act in the face of opposition that has all the bearing on how the gospel is received. And it advanced the gospel in two different ways. First of all, the whole imperial guard. So Paul is is in captivity in some way um, in Caesar's palace. This isn't isn't a small jail and he's stuck in isolation somewhere like in Philippi. He is is in Caesar's household. He is in Caesar's palace. All of the guards are aware that Paul is a witness of Jesus Christ. And then he says, all the rest. Who are all the rest? And this is is a really cool thing (laughs) that Paul does. You don't know who all the rest are, until you get to the end of the book. It's almost the last verse, chapter four, verse twenty-two. Everyone here greets you, he says to the Philippian church, especially those of Caesar's household. Now, he didn't bring it up at the beginning. He just says all the rest, and all the rest. He's saying, not only has the gospel been advancing because of my imprisonment, the gospel has reached the highest level of civil and political power in the world. Caesar's household is coming to know Jesus Christ because of my imprisonment. The gospel has been going forward because of my imprisonment. All of the imperial guard know about Jesus, and Caesar's household is coming to know Jesus Christ. And then he says about his imprisonment, that it was of Christ's doing. Now the passage, if you read it, it says, everyone here knows that my imprisonment is for Christ. The better translation would actually be, everyone here knows that my imprisonment is because of Christ. The word could be translated in several ways, but it's because of Christ. And because of Christ, not in terms of Paul is saying it's because of Christ. What Paul is saying is that, listen, Jesus put me here. It is is Christ's fault that I'm here. Not my fault that I'm here. Remember in the the passage that we looked at last week, he says, all of you are partakers of grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in my confirmation and defense of the gospel. Which means that Paul considered it an act of God's grace, which is, is work that God does toward us, that is undeserved. That's what grace is. God's gracious work towards us that's undeserved. And that his imprisonment was an act of God's grace. So the opposition and suffering that he faced by being in jail was an act of God through Jesus Christ, and it was an act of grace towards him. Because Paul, as we will see here and next week, all of Paul—all the only thing that Paul was concerned about was that the gospel was going forward. And he'll say next week, he says, whether I live or whether I die, it is in behalf, on behalf of the word of God going forward that I live or I die. So he was ecstatic that he was in jail because he saw the gospel going forward in ways that he never imagined. His central concern was the advance of the gospel. Now, what was going on in Rome and to some degree also going on in Philippi, was that there were some people that were preaching the gospel out of rivalry. Um, And you can see this in our own culture. There are some churches that are started by pastors who are using the gospel to advance their own purposes to, be, to, to have power over people. I, I refer to this movie a lot. It's been a while, I think. But, but the, uh, Denzel Washington, who's a committed believer, by the way. Denzel Washington has a movie called The Book of Eli. It's old. And he is a, a blind prophet. And he is tasked with the, the job of carrying the last known translation printed Bible. Um, and there is a the the antagonist in the story um, wants it but he wants it because he knows that through it he will be able to gather a lot of people around him and gather a lot of money and have power because that's the bible is used for that and so paul says listen i know that there are people out there preaching the gospel for their own selfish reasons And he doesn't even get into the fact that there's theological error. There may not be any theological error in these preachers. It's not brought up. When there is theological error, Paul usually brings it up. There's no hint of theological error in these preachers. He just says, listen, there are people preaching the gospel for their own selfish motives. And it causes, they think that it it causes me to be upset and to be discouraged Paul's only discouragement around it is that is, it, is, it is not unified. It creates disunity. It creates disunity. But then he says, I know that there are many people preaching the gospel out of love, love that God has shown towards them that is coming from a desire to love God and that love the people around them and, and are not using it for selfish ambition. He says, regardless, Christ is preached. He's not concerned that glory is being taken from him. He's not concerned that um, his conditions might be worsening because of others preaching the gospel out there. All that Paul is concerned about is that the gospel is going forward, that Christ is preached, that Christ is preached. And in here you see that the part of the other way that the um, gospel was going forward is, is that there were people growing in their confidence because of Paul's suffering. He says, My imprisonment has not only led to the advancement of the gospel in Caesar's household and with all the imperial guards, it has caused the others in Rome, it has caused the others in Rome to grow confident in the Lord. And just as Christ put Jesus, excuse me, just as Christ put Paul in prison for the advancement of the gospel, God is at work emboldening the believers in the churches in the same way. And it says that they have become much more bold to speak the word without fear. And this too is a work of God in the lives of those people. And so here's where you see this, what James Ware referred to as one of the few instances in all of the New Testament, and certainly in Paul's letters, where you where you have the impression from Paul, that that the peop, that the that the Christians in the churches, not just the missionaries, not just the evangelists, but the people in the churches, had an obligation, and were expected, and indeed empowered to proclaim and speak the gospel around them that was the assumption that paul had that's the assumption that that jesus had and it is the activity of god in christ working in us now it is happening because of the example that leaders have the example that paul had who was also boldlessly boldly and fearlessly speaking the gospel And in the midst of Paul's suffering, they saw the gospel going forward, and they're like, wait a minute, opposition doesn't seem to hurt the advancement of the gospel. Opposition seems to increase the advancement of the gospel, and this emboldened them. So, listen, I don't, we don't need to be so concerned about opposition, And it seems like, and if you look throughout all of the New Testament instances in the book of Acts and in the Gospels and and in the letters, those who really suffer for the Gospel, like the ones that are thrown in prison, the ones that are beaten, the ones that are ridiculed and mocked, uh, they seem to possess a joy that carries them through the harsh persecution that they've endured and for those that that don't experience that harsh persecution there's a joy that overwhelms them that strengthens their advancement of the gospel and so for us for us we need not fear opposition we need not fear to back off the message and to make it more palatable which we see a lot of churches doing, moving away from the hard things of the gospel. Yes, there is one God. He has revealed himself through one man, Jesus Christ, who died at the hands of the Romans and the Jews, so all Gentiles and Jews are responsible, and then rose again on the third day, never to die again, and ascended into heaven. It is a ridiculous message. But that is the message. We can't pull back from this message. And then Jesus left his testimony about him over thousands of years of speaking to the prophets and to the apostles. That testimony is the Bible. We don't worship the Bible, we worship Jesus. But the Bible is the testimony of Jesus that Jesus left through his and the Spirit's work in the church and the people of God throughout the ages, and we hold to that word. We hold to that word. Every, Jesus said, "Every jot and tittle, basically every punctuation mark, every comma, every period, exclamation mark, is going to be, is going to endure. I will fulfill every aspect of it." And so we have the gospel, we have the Word of God, we have the revelation of Jesus Christ in the Bible, and what the Scripture shows is that. Our bold holding to that testimony in the face of opposition and gracious love and kindness towards those who oppose us is the catalyst for the gospel's expansion. That's what he's saying here. It is widely recognized that the rapid growth of the early church was in fact primarily the work not of missionaries and evangelists, but of the churches themselves through their day-to-day contacts with outsiders. Again, James Ware. The rapid growth of the church was due to the work of the churches through their day-to-day contacts with outsiders. That's the burden that, that Paul, through describing his activities in Rome, that's the burden that he's laying on this Philippian church. Philippian Church, I have people in Rome with me who are preaching the gospel sincerely out of love and not out of love, but for selfish ambition. And you have the same dynamic there in Philippi. As we'll see how the letter unfolds, there are those there in Philippi that love me, but there are those there in Philippi who are are selfishly ambitious and whose love for me has diminished because of my imprisonment. That's why he prays that their love would grow and urges them towards unity in the progress of the gospel and in their support of him. So where does this leave us? Where does this leave us? Um, we, we should all be increasingly burdened to be witnesses of the gospel. That is the, that is the burden that Paul was leaving with the Philippians. That's the burden that we hope this series leaves with us as a church, what do we do? Okay, we're, we're not just going to go start doing door-to-door cold call evangelism. That's not what we're being called to do. We don't get any indication in the New Testament that that's the, that the lifestyle of Christians that Paul is wanting to do. We're going to see how this is to unfold throughout the book of Philippians in terms of what are our responsibilities. But here at the beginning, we need to begin just as Paul began. We need to begin with prayer pray that our love would grow more and more with knowledge and discernment that we would know what is excellent okay and i and i have to believe that he's specifically referring to two things our lifestyle because he's going to be addressing our lifestyle are we selfishly ambitious in our lifestyle are we choosing the things that are most excellent most excellent in terms of what is going to advance the gospel okay now, He's not talking to missionaries and apostles. He's talking about all of us. All of us. Are we pursuing the things that are excellent in our decision-making so that they are loving for the ultimate purpose of advancing the gospel? So we need to be praying that prayer for us. We need to be praying that prayer for loving unity for us as a church because we're going to see our conduct in our families, our speech, how we, what we do in the face of opposition. He's going to say, do not grumble or complain about anything because in grumbling and complaining, it covers up the light that we are to the world. So day-to-day things we're going to see throughout the book of Philippians, but we've got to start with prayer, everybody. We've got to start with prayer because this has got to be, just as in Paul's case and the Philippians and in the Roman church that he speaks of, it has to be the work of God in us emboldening us it has to be the work of god putting us into places to communicate the gospel with boldness and clarity and with love it has to be the work of god we need to be praying for open doors just as paul commanded us in colossians pray for open doors and pray for boldness actually he doesn't he asks them to pray for open doors he doesn't tell them to pray for open doors for themselves but the example is there Pray that we would have open doors for the gospel. It has to start with that, and we have. You know, Tim Keller calls it kingdom prayer. You know, most of the times in our house churches, we're praying for the things that are plaguing our lives, right? And, and that's good. Paul tells us, Jesus tells us, pray for anything that causes you anxiety. Okay, but once in a while, maybe we should have our house church meetings for an entire week focused, and maybe we do this once a month focused on kingdom prayer hey everybody i don't we don't no prayer requests today for your own sickness for sick relatives for the challenges you're facing in your job for whatever those things are good pray for them we're going to focus tonight on kingdom prayer we're going to pray for those that don't know jesus we're going to pray for our boldness we're going to pray for our unity we're going to pray for our love we're going to pray for open doors we should do that in our house churches it's got to start with with a a and maybe even some fasting There are few things that I love so much in this world that could pull me from Jesus. Food is one of them, and drink. And I really love my wife. Maybe we could fast a little bit from the things that we really love. Jesus fasted regularly. Paul fasted regularly. Maybe we need to fast, have kingdom fast for the advancement of the gospel. You guys are we are in a we are in a place where the gospel is hard to penetrate. It is hard to penetrate, and it needs the work of God. The gospel is going gangbusters in Southeast Asia and in the southern hemispheres. It is diminishing in Europe and America. I don't God is doing what he's doing. But let us put forth a vigilant effort. Let us pray and fast. Let us renew our minds around suffering, joy, and fruitfulness. Can we remove from our minds that opposition is bad, (laughs) that suffering is bad? And can we hold to the belief? this, This study has been really, really helpful for me. It has strengthened me because there's this strong conviction, both in the book of Acts and here in Philippians, opposition is a good thing and it's going to create joy in our lives it's so contradictory just like the gospel that victory and power is comes through death right but that's the gospel it's always been that way and in the midst of that profound moment of weakness and suffering the glory and the power of god makes itself known so we need to renew our minds around this idea and not be afraid of opposition, but instead of look forward to it. Not necessarily seek it out, but look forward to it. And we'll see how Paul says the same thing in chapter 3. You know, there's, there's really no new principles here in, the, in these ideas. It's just we need to deepen in this aspect of the gospel. The gospel's advance comes through us deepening in our own understanding of the gospel. We need the gospel just like those in the world need the gospel to come to know him and be saved. And we all need to speak the gospel within our spheres. You all have spheres that nobody else has. And probably many of you are in spheres where there's no other evangelical testimony or testimony to Jesus Christ. Let's move away from use of this term evangelical. Most of you are in spheres where there's probably not a whole lot of other believers in Jesus that love, that love him. Pray for open doors, seek them out, and see what God does but put at the top of your tasks the top of your mind just like paul did that the advancement of the gospel is the ultimate thing that we are called here to do as people it it, it really is regardless of who or where we're at our station in life the advancement of the gospel is our calling and we need to devote ourselves to one another to unity as we'll see throughout this this passage and again we've got to seek god in all of this because as we saw in this passage we can't grunt this out there are things that we can do pray be aware be ready to be clear in our communication of the gospel be wise be loving there are things that we can do but ultimately the the work of god in us for us to be bold enough And the work of God and others to respond to the gospel, it it is a work of God. It is a work of God. And so don't don't leave here thinking that you've got this tremendous burden now upon you. You don't. You have a burden upon you to seek God and, and, and to experience him in a greater way. And in that transformation, we will become better witnesses of the gospel. Let me pray.